Hey everyone, this is John Mauser. I'm a fishing guide and a rod builder on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. I'm using this podcast to build a relationship with all of you and to tell some stories along the way that will hopefully entertain, educate, and inspire everyone who's listening. This is the True Tales Podcast Show. How's it going, everybody? This is John Mauser, and you're listening to episode nine of the True Tales podcast. Been a little bit. The uh, last podcast we dropped, I think, was around October 3rd of this year, and uh, it's been a solid two months uh, since we put one together. So I'm dusting off the old mic and trying to get her fired back up. The hope originally when we did this was that it was going to be a once a week show, and uh, that's still the hope going forward. But, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. Had a very solid false albacore slash near shore fishing season this fall. And basically from, you know, around September 25th on through Thanksgiving, um, I was booked almost every single day. Uh, Very fortunate and very blessed that the guide services got into that point to allow me to be able to fish every single day out there. And I really appreciate the people that come fishing with me and allow me to do that. I took one day off from a kid's birthday party and uh, we had a funeral, unfortunately, and then a you know, a few bad weather days where we either had to cancel or reschedule, but for the most part, we fished most of those days. So when you're fishing eight hour trips, which really in reality, by the time you drive to the ramp and back, it's a 10 hour trip. Uh, you throw in a little bit extra time. It's an 11 hour trip. And then you clean up and you prep, you know, we're running 12, 13, 14 hour days. And when you do that every single day, seven days a week without a day off, you know, you get up at four thirty five in the morning, each morning, you don't finish washing the boat and grabbing dinner till seven o'clock at night. It's well past dark at that point. Try to spend a little bit of time with the family. And then you rush to try to answer some emails and edit some photos for clients and things like that. And next thing you know, it's midnight and you've got five hours till you got to be up again. So podcast kind of went on the back burner for a little bit. Um, but going forward, we're kind of in the slow season. So hopefully we'll be able to crank these things out every single week. So I was thinking this morning, what would be a good topic to talk about this week? And I was thinking about about the Albi season and the, you know, 60 or 70 days that we spent on the water this fall. And I was thinking about some of the things that it taught me, or maybe not taught me, but just reinforced and reminded me. So today I want to talk about six things that the false albacore season reminded me about this fall. So the first thing that Albi season reminded me of this year is always be prepared. So be prepared that things are going to go wrong. You know, things, things break on boats, things break on vehicles, all, all kinds of stuff. And when you're on the water that much, you just don't have time to deal with it that day. So try to, before you get into a season like that, really make sure everything is squared away. Make sure you've got your oil changes done. Make sure things are working around the house. Um, I think I tied 100 albacore flies before the season started. And I wish we had tied 200 albacore flies before the season has started. And that's my fault. You know, I procrastinated and waited till early September to start knocking those flies out because we had other stuff going on during the summer. Really right now here in December, I need to be tying albacore flies for next fall already. You know, we got into the middle of October, end of October, and we'd already burned through a hundred flies. Um, you know, some days there's a bunch of bluefish around. Some days we're breaking off bigger fish, whatever. Same thing with the rest of the gear. You know, we, we, Messed up a couple spinning reels and uh, 
tore up some fly lines, broke the guides off of a few rods this year. Uh, and, you know, I've got some extra spinning rods and stuff around, but just all those things. Make sure everything's lined up, ready to go. Um, gosh, I lost an entire trim tab set off of a boat. Not that you could be prepared for that, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. Now I've got to scramble at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night and try to uh, put in new trim tabs and rewire those in. So the less other stuff you have to worry about, the stuff that you can prepare for beforehand will allow you to deal with those issues that pop up. Speaking of being prepared, you know, we had a couple issues with the boat. So just, you know, being ready on the water that if something goes wrong, you know, having a toolkit, having having spare fuses, having hose clamps, having the right tools and things like that. So if you have an issue on the water, like all those things can save you if you're if you put that little bit of extra time into thinking about the things that can go wrong, or the things that can break and the things that need to be replaced and, and have those things ready to go. Makes life a little bit easier. So the second thing that false albacore season reminded me of this year is that it's really about the little things in life. Stop and smell the roses, look around, enjoy all the other things. You know, most of the people come looking to fish for false albacore or some of the other fish species we see in the fall. Um, we got a good variety of fish, but we call it, you know, a dozen different species this fall, at least if not more than that. Um, but it, it's about the other things, you know, cruising down Shackleford Bank or Cape Lookout in these long stretches of undeveloped beach. It looked like they did two, three, four, five hundred years ago. You know, watching the, the ponies walk down Shackleford. You know, it's not what we came fishing for, but it, it's those little things, those extra things. We spent several days, you know, 10 to 15 miles off the beach fishing on the wrecks this year uh, because the, uh, the albacore weren't showing up on those days. It was just too pretty. And we ended up, you know, burning some gas and going for a ride. And little things like how deep blue the water is out there. Being able to see 30, 40 feet down and seeing fish over the wrecks. We were cruising offshore one day in early November. We saw thrashing on the surface and we ran over to see what it was. I saw this extremely tall dorsal fin kicking around as, as this big fish was doing figure eights. And we realized that it was a, a hammerhead shark and he was feeding on something. And we got up really close to it and watched him slash around and do figure eights. It, it reminded me of, of the, the big hammerheads when they feed on the tarpon in the Keys at the Seven Mile Bridge. And then when we got up close, we realized he was eating another shark. And he had a shark probably, you know, the hammerhead was eight or nine foot long. And he had a, a shark that was three, four foot long in his mouth. And he was just cruising around T-boning that other shark and just eating it on the surface. And it was incredible to watch. And we tried to shoot a video of it. And we were so excited. I don't even think the shark ended up on the screen of the video. Saw sea turtles almost every single day out there. And we had a big loggerhead sea turtle. It was a couple hundred pounds. And on the surface and we went over to it and when it dove down it had about 15 or 20 amberjacks schooling around it on another wreck we looked down and we saw a huge barracuda and i'm used to seeing barracuda but you know you think about a big barracuda being four foot maybe five foot long and i know this barracuda was every bit of six foot long he was huge and i mean he was just monstrous it looked like he was about as big around as a five gallon bucket and every time we'd catch a fish and we'd crank it up to the boat He'd come inspect it and he'd look all around and we were just waiting for him to slash and eat it. But he never took a bite of any of the fish. But just to see that that predator sitting under our boat and eyeballing everything that we would hook and reel in, it was just, just impressive to watch and I really appreciate getting to experience those things. We had an unbelievable amount of jellyfish in the ocean this fall and multiple species. And and if you guys don't know, I, I used to be a work as a marine biologist for a public aquarium and for years one of my jobs was to to culture jellyfish, to, to raise them from 
larvae up to adult and continue to reproduce them and, and produce more of them. So I'm a little bit of a jellyfish dork. So we had millions and millions of comb jellies out there. We had cannonball jellyfish. We had moon jellyfish. We had Atlantic sea nettles. And we had some of the biggest lion's mane jellyfishes I've ever seen. And so lion's manes usually live farther up north in the colder waters. And they're, those are those huge jellyfish. If you've ever seen the photo of the scuba diver swimming beside the giant jellyfish, a lot of times that's a lion's mane. Um, but down here in North Carolina, because the water doesn't stay cold long enough, we, we only have them in the winter and early spring. So normally our lion's manes are in North Carolina. They're maybe the size of a softball. They don't live down here, don't survive long enough to get very big once they drift down here. But this winter, this fall, we had uh, lion's manes that I couldn't have wrapped my arms around. They had to be three foot in diameter. They were, they're huge, and it was just so impressive to see these big, giant, cold water jellyfish swimming all around the place. And with all these jellyfish here, I got to see something that I'd only heard about and seen a couple photos of before. I had a boss back in my early... Uh, aquarium, public aquarium days. It, uh, she gave me a photo she had taken of bottlenose dolphin that were playing ball with each other, bouncing a ball back and forth in the ocean. But instead of a ball, it was a cannonball jellyfish. Those kind of like grapefruit size, real firm, rigid, uh, kind of like a brick red and white jellyfish. And they don't sting. Um, people actually cut them up and use them for bait. But these dolphin, this photo she'd given me, they were hitting it back and forth like you would see dolphin at a, at a park at like SeaWorld that would hit a ball back and forth. And I'd never, I'd heard about it and I'd never seen it before, but we got, she got to see that this fall. We see that the bottlenose dolphin run down and run up to one of those jellyfish and they'd come up and they'd headbutt it and they'd send that jellyfish 10, 15, 20 feet through the air. And the other dolphins would race over to it and turn around and kick that jelly back up to the surface and they would swat it and send it flying through the air. Something I'd never seen in, you know, 30 years on the water. Never seen that before. So that was extremely special for me. Uh, tons and tons of spinner sharks leaping, spiraling 10 foot out of the water as they fed on menhaden and other bait fish. Um, something that's not, you know, that unusual of an occurrence here on the Crystal Coast, but just really cool to see those things. And just, you know, it's, it's all those little things that make up that trip. I am a self-proclaimed bird dork. And. You know, so lots of cool birds and not just your normal gulls and brown pelicans and the different tern species that are, are feeding on the silver sides and anchovies and the other bait fish when we're albacore fishing. Um, but some cool stuff, we, you know, later in the fall, early winter, we get the northern gannets that migrate down these giant white birds that die from way up above the water surface and they just spiral down and just and dive into these schools of menhaden, and pierce through those bait balls and and grab these big fish to feed on. So really appreciative of seeing those. I got to see a, a species of bird that looks similar to a gull called a, called a black-legged kittiwake. And I'd never seen one before. I saw them flying around and actually had to take a photograph of them and identify them later. And there's something really cool right before Thanksgiving, towards the end of the season, uh, we had white pelicans that showed up. And white pelicans, nor normally they summer in the central or western part of the United States, up north and up into Canada. And then they overwinter down in South Florida, Louisiana, Texas, places like that. Uh, Pea Island, North Carolina, uh, which is a couple hours north of here, is the only place where I've ever seen, or most people have ever seen, white pelicans. But they showed up at Shackleford Banks and Cape Lookout right before Thanksgiving. 
And those white pelicans are two, three times the size of a brown pelican. And I ended up counting 44 of them, which was incredible to see those guys along the beach. So, you know, we go out there fishing for albacore and, you know, sharks and bluefish and mackerel and hopefully some big bull drum and those things like that. But it's, it's really all those other little things that just add up to the experience. Uh, just being out there in the water and knowing whether the fishing's good or not. We're going to see and experience something really cool that day. So the next thing that the fall Alby season reminded me of was that it won't be great forever and winter is coming. So basically just appreciate the days that are amazing. You know, we had some, we, we had some great days out there where, you know, whether it was an hour or whether it was four hours, where as far as you could see, there were albacore schools blitzing. Just thousands and thousands of birds working and silver sides and anchovies just spraying out of the surface and just I'll be back after I'll be back. Those days that are so good that, you know, anglers who had never even fly fished or at least saltwater fly fished before could pick up a fly rod and catch one because they had to make a 10 foot if that cast off the boat and they were instantly hooked up on an Albie, you know, but, but you get so caught up in those and that kind of, you know, but you get so caught up in that and you just don't always stop and appreciate how good that is. And the fact that it's not always that way. And often it's not that way. You know, normally you have to work for those fish. So, you know, just that fall season just reminded me that, hey, when things are really good, stop and smell the roses. Stop and appreciate it. Just stop for a second and look all around. Fish blitzing everywhere. Other boats hooking up. People having a great time. A lot of times, a lot of days, it's not that good. So just appreciate it because the lull is coming. It's not always going to be that good. We had, you know, we had days where we lost count on fish. We had days where we didn't have to start the motor. We just turned the motor off and we had bait balls drifting around us and we just had to make short cast and, and hook up and we're doubled up constantly. I'm running from front to the back of the boat, tending to anglers and helping them get their fish in days when we had big fish days when we found fish, we weren't expecting other species of fish that were really awesome. Like just to stop and really just appreciate those epic days, appreciate those excellent days. Um, and just be thankful for them and just to burn them in our memory. The fourth thing that this fall Albie season reminded me of is that comparison is the thief of joy. A lot of times if we don't know what it was like in the past, or we don't know what our neighbor's doing, we don't know what our friends are up to, we just base things on our life alone and what's happening to us, we can be pretty happy about it. The second you start comparing, you know, what your neighbor is doing versus you or what your buddy is doing versus you or your family member or how your life was a week ago versus this week or two years ago versus this year. So when you start to kind of lose that joy over your life right now and, 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 and what you're being gifted at this moment. So comparison is the thief of joy. You know, today is a different day than yesterday. Yesterday, maybe you caught 15 albacore. Maybe today you only caught two albacore, but those albacore are really special. They're really special for your angler who's never caught them before. Um, you got to see a lot of cool things. You know that today was a good day, but if you start comparing it to the day before or the week before, you know, you really start to, you start to lose appreciation for, for what you're being given that day. And every day is a gift. So you need to appreciate it and don't compare it to the other days. Every day is different. And I also know that's a good way for me as a guide to ruin it for my angler. 
my angler may be super stoked about those two Albies. And if I'm stupid enough to go, yeah, but man, I wish you'd been here last week. We call it like 20 at this point. You know, I'm ruining it for him. So not to steal other people's experiences by comparing their day to another client's day either. And then also, don't compare your day to another guide or another angler's day. You know, there was days when we stayed around Shackleford or Cape Lookout and we did okay on Albies. But a couple of people slipped off and went somewhere else and found something really special, something bigger, something different, something that pulled harder. And we had a great time and we enjoyed our day and it was something special until we found out that somebody did something better somewhere else. Maybe they just caught more albacore, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, focus on what you have and what you're gifted. Even if it was a slow day, focus on the good parts of it. Don't compare it to what the other anglers or other guides did because that will steal the joy away from what you experienced that day. The fifth thing that this year's Albie season reminded me of is that storms pass. So if you're in a tough part of your life or a tough part of your fishing season, it's going to get better. Don't think that it's always going to be the way it currently is. In early November, we got a surprise guest named Nicole. And Nicole started off as a hurricane that came across the coast of Florida and worked her way up the East Coast and came through, you know, the Carolinas as a tropical storm and then downgraded, but caused a lot of wind, a lot of swell, and a lot of rain. We don't normally get hurricanes in November. So I had five days that were rescheduled for later dates. One of them we lost to a cancellation and the other four we were able to reschedule. And then the sixth and seventh day, we turn into inshore trips for redfish because all of the 40 mile an hour north winds and the six, seven, eight, nine foot swell that we got when the storm passed through just turned the water out, even out in the ocean into chocolate milk. It just muddied it up, sent the fish running, sent the albacore heading south, sent the bait scattered all over the place. It just messed everything up. So we took a couple of days to recover instead of going out there as soon as the storm had passed looking for albacore that we knew probably wouldn't be there. We fished inshore. And then that first Monday we came back out and everybody got together. All the guides were out there looking. And from the inlet to the beachfronts to five miles off the beach, the water looked like just chocolate. It was just disgusting. The bait was still around, thankfully, but the bait was scattered and the Albies didn't show up to find it that day. We all rode around looking, caught some bluefish and maybe a few gray trout and just watched tons and tons of birds diving on bait, just waiting to be eaten that wasn't being eaten by albacore. But we knew if we'd stick with it, eventually they would return. This fish actually came back the following day. We found them several miles off the beach, but everybody caught false albacore. And it wasn't great that day, but it was the beginning of the ocean kind of repairing itself from that storm and everything coming back to life. and and working his way back to where it should be for Albie season at that time of year. Eventually things get better. Eventually water clears up. Eventually the bait schools back up. Eventually the albacore return. Things will always get better. Storms will pass. The final thing that Albie season reminded me of this year was that it's good to have a circle of friends. You know, I've got my friends off the water, and I've also got my friends on the water. 
And some of these people I may not hang out with outside of fishing, but I see them on a daily basis or a weekly basis on the water. And we've all built friendships where we can rely on each other and, and trust each other and help each other out when we need it. Or just make each other smile and laugh when the fishing's tough. I had two different times this fall where I needed to be towed to the beach. Well, take that back. One time I needed to be towed to the beach. One time I needed to be towed off of the beach. So in October, I, uh, not sure if, you know, if you guys aren't boat people, there's something called your zinc trim tab. It's on your motor right below your cavitation plate. And it's this fin looks like a surfboard fin and it hangs right above your prop. And that helps balance out the, the pull of the motor. It offsets the, the turning of your propeller. And mine had come loose a little bit, the bolt that holds it in, and it spun around and it jammed up with a prop while we were fishing. It was, it was like, I don't know, eight in the morning. We called a couple Albies. I go to go forward and the motor, the motor's jammed up. Like the prop has got something wrapped around it and locked up. Turn the motor off. We're floating out in the middle of the inlet. And I pull the motor up and I look and I see that's jammed up and I can't do anything floating out there in 30 foot of water. So I called a buddy on the radio and he came over and, tied the line up and towed us to the beach and hiked my pants up and jumped out and we fixed the issue, but we had to get towed to the beach to be able to fix it. And that person gave up, you know, they had their clients and they were in those blitzes catching those fish too. And they landed their fish and came right over, thankfully. And, and we would have done the same for any of them, but just really appreciate having those people that we can call on and say, Hey man, I know the fishing's good right now, but I really need you to get us to the beach so I can try to fix this so I can get my anglers back in the water chasing fish too. The other tow I had was more recently, that was uh, the week, actually it was the day before Thanksgiving, um, and we had gone through a real dry spell with the albacore. Um, we had a real weird November. It was one of the kind of on and off toughest Novembers we've ever had, or at least I've ever had, you know, 12 years of guiding for them for albacore, um, but we didn't see them for four or five days. And we, we put like 100, 125 miles a day on the boat and didn't see them. And then the day before Thanksgiving, they showed up. We were on the way down the beach and got a call from another guy that we're friends with. And he said, Hey, you need to get down here that they're here. And so we got down there and we'd called a couple and we were having a good morning. And then the fish kind of disappeared from the inlet for a little bit. And then they showed back up and I had a husband and wife and their brother and their daughter fishing on the boat. And their daughter is, she is as fishy as anyone, but she had never caught a false albacore. And she throws a spinning rod and she hooks up on this albie. And we're probably 100 yards off the beach, maybe 50 yards off the beach. And the wind's blowing real hard. And uh, we're crank she's cranking on this fish. And I'm just, you know, we haven't had shots at fish for five days, six days. And I'm doing everything I can to make sure she gets this fish landed. Uh, it's like the most important thing. And it's really all I'm focused on. And not paying too much attention to the fact that the wind is blowing us out of the deeper water, up on the beach, uh, real close to the beach. And by the time we land this fish, thunk, you know, the parker gets pushed right up against the sand and the skeg of the motor's right in the sand and we're, you know, sitting in 12 inches of water. And I'm like, I'll deal with it. I'll get out and I'll push it. And uh, we get this fish landed and get a picture and release our fish. And as I'm getting ready to hike my pants up and jump in the water on the beach and, you know, this 58, 59 degree water and push us out, I get a call on the radio. Hey, John, you need a tow. Now, the other guys were watching what had happened, and uh, the guide friend who'd called me over earlier that morning, he, I said, well, 
I said, I don't want to ask for one, but I'd rather not have to jump out right now. So he pulled over with his clients and they threw a rope and pulled me against the wind off the beach so I could get my prop in the water and get it fired up and pull off. And by the time they did that and we unhooked, they had gotten blown up against the beach. And then hoping that nobody else is watching what we're doing, then I turn around and I'm able to pull them off and we're both able to get off and then no worse for wear and, and uh, go chase some Albies a little bit more that morning. So just thankful for, you know, when those situations, you know, even if it's not a life and death situation, like there's always somebody there to lend a hand and help you out. So good to have a circle of friends. They also, those friends also help you find fish. So it's good to have more eyes on the water especially when you're doing something like Albie fishing that are spread over many miles looking for these fish when they can pop up anywhere. So it's good to have a group of friends you can trust to give you a little secret radio call or cell phone call or something if they find something good or just call and share it with everybody. But you need to make sure you're around to return those favors for your friends. Don't just expect your friends to help you out all the time and that you don't do something to return it. And even better, why don't you just pay it forward? before they ever do anything for you. Just you look out for them. You find the fish, you share it with them. You have something, a cool experience. You let them know about it so they can be a part of it too and experience it with you. And the other thing, the other reason it's good to have your circle of friends is just to have some good laughs on the water. That's the great thing about Albie season is you can literally have 20 other boats around you. And as long as everybody's, you know, behaving themselves and approaching those fish properly, Everybody can catch fish within sight of everybody. We can all catch albies and we can root everybody on and, and cheer for people catching their first ones and laugh about people losing fish and, and all the good fun stuff that comes around with albie season. So it's always good to have friends around for laughs or if the fish don't show up, it's good to have friends around to commiserate with each other and just, uh, Ask who's got the uh, the Walmart applications ready to sign up for a different job since we can't find any fish for our clients. So that being said, it's good to have friends in the water. So, so those are a few things that I was reminded of and reinforced during Albie season this year. Uh, things that are important on the water, but uh, are just important for regular everyday life. So hope you got a little bit out of that and really good to be back on the podcast and talking to all y'all and uh, looking forward to doing a bunch more of these. and. You know, life will get in the way here or there. You may have a trip out of town for a week or be backed up with fishing or rod building or anything like that. So, you know, forgive me if we go a week without one. Um, but otherwise, looking forward to, to keep on talking with you guys and, and sharing some stories about the water. So until next time, hope you guys have a great one. Take care.